Good evening. So tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. If you want to go ahead and start turning there, we'll get into that in just a minute. So if you were here last time I spoke, you might remember that we started in about Acts chapter 15, about halfway through, and we uh, kind of worked our way through a little bit of chapter 16. So as I was praying about the message tonight, the Lord has kind of led me to go ahead and kind of finish out that story. So that's what we're going to kind of pick up and finish tonight. So just a brief recap of uh, the last message that I spoke. We talked about God's guidance. We talked about God's guidance through conflict. And we talked about the conflict that ensued between Paul and Barnabas as they, as they um, disagreed on whether they should take John Mark on, along with them on the second missionary journey. And how God was able to still work through that disagreement, through that conflict, and um, ultimately double the number of missionaries that were out there. We also Next we talked about God's guidance through discernment. We talked about as Paul um, uh, left uh, and started on his second missionary journey, he headed uh, north and uh, came up towards the end of their, uh, where they had gone before. And they stopped in a town that they had gone to before. Um, and they met young Timothy. Um, and then we talked about how God, or, or how uh, Paul used discernment in, uh, in knowing that he should take Timothy with him on the missionary journey, and how he used discernment in knowing that he should circumcise him, not for his salvation, but so that it wouldn't be a stumbling block to um, others as he shared the word. We then talked about God's guidance through resistance, and how when they, when they, left, uh, and they, they left, and they were, they were heading, from, uh, heading westward, and they started saying, oh, let's go to south into Asia. And God said, no that's not the right direction. So they said, let's go north in Abithia. And God said, no, that's not the direction. So they continued to, God continued through resistance and through his direction to funnel them kind of westward towards Europe. And then we talked about God's guidance through Revelation and about how they were, as, they were, as they were funneled westward, they finally ended up in a town called Troas. And in Troas, while they were sleeping, um, that Paul had a dream, a, a revelation, and we talked about God's guidance through revelation and how this revelation or this dream was of a Macedonian man asking uh, Paul or at calling Paul to come and minister to them, to share the gospel with them. We talked about how that revelation as they're able to look back over the past several months as they're being funneled westward that they're able to see the intricacies of what God had been kind of weaving into, into, their, into their story, into the tapestry of their lives as they were funneled westward. They were able to understand why God had led them that direction. And I believe I mentioned it last time that in Troas, um, we see that the, the, the pronouns start changing. It changes from they went and did this to we went and did this. And so we can see that Luke actually joins them at this point in Troas as they, they leave Troas. So that's where we're going to pick up tonight, pick up with the story in Acts chapter 16 and verse 11. So Acts chapter 16 and verse 11. It says, So they set sail from Troas, and they made direct voyage to Samothrasus and the, follow, um, and the following day to Nepolis. And from there to Philippi, which was a leading city in the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony, and we remained in the city for some days. So in verse 11, it says that they made direct voyage. An alternate Greek translation, that would be straight voyage. So they were able to sail straight from Troas to Samothrace uh, without any deviation. 
So I don't know if anyone has any experience with sailing, but even if you don't, you probably know that you can't sail directly into the wind. And so if, if you needed to sail directly into the wind, you do what they call sailing close haul, which is kind of a zigzag pattern along the path that you're trying to get trying to follow. And so if we contrast that, and it says that they're able to sail directly there, we can see that the wind was at their backs and that they were being pushed along. And it was confirming God's call on their, their lives to go to Macedonia. In fact, we can, we can see that they're able to travel from, from, um, from Troas to Samothracis, and then from Samothracis to uh, Nepolis, Nepolis to Philippi, and they're able to travel that entire distance in two days. It's 156 miles in two days that they're able to travel. And so the, the, the wind was at their back, and they were being pushed along in the right direction. We could contrast this to their journey back in um, Acts chapter 20 and verse 6, and when we can see that it took them actually five days on their return voyage. And so the, to be able to get there in two days was definitely a blessing and a confirmation of, of, of what God was calling them to do. So that first night, they stayed in, in the storied island of Samothracis with, with the towering presence of above of Mount Poseidon, 5,500 feet above. This is the same island that many, many years later, in about 1863, that the, that the statue of the Winged Victory would be found. And then from there, they had smooth sailing into, into Nepolis, and then, which was a port city of Philippi. And then it's just a mere eight-mile walk uh, from from Nepolis up into Philippi. Philippi was a unique town. Philippi was an ancient city. It, it, it got its name in about 356 B, uh, BC when Philip II of Macedon conquer, or conquered the city and he renamed it after himself. And then with the expansion of the Roman Empire, it, it became under Roman uh, rule in about 167 BC. And if you're familiar at all with, with, the Rome, with Roman history, you're probably familiar with the famous battle between Mark Anthony and Octavius, where they defeated Brutus and um, Cassius in a decisive battle in, in the second uh, Roman Civil War in 42 BC. And it's at this point, through that decisive battle, that it, it became a Roman colony. Now, Roman colonies, um, they, they were unique. They answered directly to the emperor. And, the, the, and uh, one of the ways that the, the empire tried to uh, make sure that they stayed loyal to the crown was that they encouraged their Roman soldiers to retire in these cities, in these colonies. And I know when I, when I, when I learned this, I asked myself, well, how could they possibly encourage them to retire there, you know, uproot their life and move there? And whenever I found out how they did it, it was like, that's ingenious. What the emperor did is he made it so that if you're a Roman city living in a Roman colony, you could live there without paying any taxes. So it would be like if, if Centerton became a colony and we didn't, if he moved here, you wouldn't have to pay any, any, uh, uh, any taxes. You can imagine the number of people that would flock here just for that purpose. So it was an ancient tax shelter, if you will. And so this kind of sets the stage um, for what I want to talk with you guys about tonight. And tonight I want to talk about the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel when it's proclaimed, the power of the gospel over demons, the power of the gospel in persecution, and the power of the gospel for the church today. So let's start with the power of the gospel when it's proclaimed. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 16 and verse 13. And it says, on the, Sabbath day, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gates to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer 
and we sat down and spoke to some women who had come together. So the missionary team at the time, so it was Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, uh, they, they walked down to the riverside on the Sabbath. This kind of shows us um, Paul's continued strategy of when he entered a town, he would go first to a synagogue, so he'd go first to the Jews, and then he would go to the marketplace. He would go out and speak with the Gentiles. So this town obviously did not have a synagogue. In order for a city to have a synagogue, the Jewish tradition was that you had to have 10 male heads of household in order to form a synagogue. Without that, um, the kind of the direction that they were given and the requirements that, that if they didn't meet that requirement, they were directed to continue to meet, but to meet under the open sky by either a river or a sea. So knowing that there wasn't a synagogue in town, Paul and his companions walked out by the river and they're probably walking along listening for looking for other Jews and, and listening to the conversations, you know, listening for people say maybe sitting around reciting the, the Shema or the, the, the law of the gospel or the law of uh, Moses or the law of the prophets. And when they found them, they sat down and began to have a conversation. Let's continue on in verse 14. One who, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay, to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us in saying, if, if you have judged us to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So this, we tell us a little bit about Lydia here. It tells us that she was from the city of Thyatira. It tells us that she was a seller of purple goods. And purple goods would be um, like purple linen. If you think of uh, purple back in the time, it was a sign of prestige, a sign of, of, of power. The royal family was known to wear purple a lot. So she was likely a seamstress or at least a seller of purple goods. It also says that she's a worshiper of God. But she was also a Gentile with, uh, who saw the truth in Judaism, and she wanted it. So she would come under the influence of, Judy, of the Jews. And Lydia was divinely prepared for the encounter of the gospel that she was going to have that day. It, it says that, that the Lord opened her heart. And so with some irony, the, the man in the Macedonia uh, the vision ended up being a woman. And Lydia... Uh, and as Lydia placed her faith in Christ, she experienced a wonderful sensation of her sins being washed away. And joy welled up inside of her and, it, and overflowed into her, into her traveling companions and her entire household. And all of them came to know the Lord that day. And it says that they were baptized right there on the spot at the river where they were gathered. Can you imagine the, 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 the outstanding spiritual success that Paul was probably feeling at this time? So Lydia kind of twisted their arms a little bit and persuaded them to come and stay at her house, her house which would become a house church in Philippi. And Philippi would become one of Paul's most beloved congregations. And it all started with Lydia. In, in Philippians 1 and verse 3, Paul says, I give thanks to God in remembrance of you. In Philippians 4.13, it says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia in a few days, no other church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you. So the, this church was, a, was, a, was, was close to Paul's heart. It was um, a, a church that he loved. 
So from the moment of the Macedonia call, the winds have been at their back, and God has been blowing them in the direction that they were to go. It blew them straight from Troas to Samothracis, straight from Samothracis to, to Nepolis, straight from Nepolis to Philippi, straight from Philippi to Lydia's heart, and from Lydia's heart to her entire home. And at this point, it might have appeared that all their troubles were behind them. So as we look at this and we try to apply how the, the power of the gospel when it's proclaimed to our lives today, it's important for us to know, important for us to, to hear the Macedonian-like call that all of us have. In Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the commands which I have given you, and surely I am with you even to the end of the age. So our Macedonia call is to go and make disciples of all nations, or, or at least start with the nations that, that we interact with on a daily basis, interact the mission fields that we go into, whether it be the city of Centerton, whether it be our workplace, our homes, or even our schools. And so how do we make disciples of all nations? Well, Jesus gives us some clues to this in Matthew 5, uh, which is the, the Sermon on the Mount. In verses 13 through 16, Jesus commands us to be salt and light. He says that we should be the salt of the, the, salt of the earth and that we should let our uh, light shine before all men. The problem with some people today is that they're all salt but no light. They think that they should, that they, what I mean by that is they, they live out their faith but they never talk about it. So they, they go around uh, waiting for people to ask them about their faith. But the, the, contrary, the opposite can also be true. There are some people today that are all light, but no salt. They're, 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 they're all talk, but they're, 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 their actions, their lifestyle don't line up with what they're saying. And oftentimes they get labeled as hypocrites, and they can do a lot of damage. So it's important that we're not just salt. It's important that we're not just light, but we have to have a balance. We have to have both. We have to be both, be both salt and light. We must be salt. Um, yeah, it must be salt and life. Think of it this way: What if Paul had walked up to Lydia, and he was only salt? So he was only living out his faith in front of her. How long would it have taken, if ever, for her to ask him about his faith, why he was different? But what if he was just light, and he was he just told her about the gospel, but then he didn't live up to what he was preaching? So it's important that we are both salt and life. And because Paul was both salt and life, a church was born that day. So will you put your trust in the gospel when it's proclaimed? Will you submit to your call to reach your mission field, whether that be Centerton, or your workplace, or your home, or your school? And will you commit to being salt and light to your mission field? Second point for tonight, we'll look at the power of the gospel over demons. For this, we're going to pick up in verse 16 of Acts 16. So it says, as we, were going from as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owner much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of, of the Most High, who proclaim, excuse me, that, that proclaim the way uh, to salvation. Isn't it interesting how the devil attacks sometimes? 
Here's a girl who is possessed by a demon, but she's crying out, these men are sent by God. I mean, we would probably think that if someone was walking around screaming, you know, these men are servants of the Most High who proclaim the, to us the way of salvation, that that could, could be, it should be a good thing. But they kept doing it wherever, wherever they went. And, and while she said truth and while she drew a crowd, she probably was trying to twist things and she was trying to draw attention to herself and draw it away from, from uh, Paul and his traveling companions. And much like a lot of cults today, they take a small piece of truth and they twist it into a new religion, into a false religion. So Paul was able to see through this, see through the half-truths and discern the evil spirits. And so he re responds decisively. Let's take a look at that response in verse 18. And, and, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So for a short period of time, it may have felt like the, 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 that, they, that the winds that had been in their sails had become a headwind to them. But through Christ, there was a miracle. Through Christ, through the power of the gospel, there was a life that was freed. There was an enemy that was conquered, and their wind was back in their sails. So today, whatever, if you're the one facing the headwind, or if you're the one that's in bondage, God wants to do a miracle in your life today. Will you seek Jesus for the freedom from bondage and ask him to put the winds back in your sail in the direction that he wants you to go? Next, let's take a look at the power of the gospel in persecution. Let's pick up in verse 19. But when the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Roman citizens to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore off their garments and gave orders to have them beaten with rods. So Paul and Silas were in trouble because they exercised the girl's owner's only source of income. You see, whenever preaching the gospel, whenever sharing the gospel touches an economic structure, an economic power, opposition is surely, surely to come. And Paul had touched the profiteer's heart, but little did he know that their heart was in their pocketbook, which resulted in false accusations, which resulted in racial innuendos and the arrest of Paul and Silas. It's interesting to note that Paul, I mean, that Timothy and Luke escaped this, uh, this persecution. Many people think it's because that they were, they were Gentiles, they were not Jews, so they were able to blend into the crowd. Let's pick up in verse 23. And when they had, um, when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So the officials that had, uh, had inflicted the punishment on Paul and Silas, in the Latin, they're called lictors. And this, is, this is where the term getting your licks comes from. So after they had gotten their licks, after the missionaries' backs were reduced to sticky, swollen masses of lacerated flesh and blood, the jailer um, threw them into prison. 
the prison was not much was little more than a cave. And just to, 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 to give you something to think about, there was no running water. There was no drains. There was no restroom facilities. Food would have been barely edible. And so they were surrounded by all kinds of filth and disease. And it was the worst possible situation. But to make matters worse, not only were they in this horrible situation with their back stripped open, but the jailer, perhaps taking their order a step further than necessary, brutally locks them in the stocks. This meant that their legs were stretched as far, far, as, far, as, far as possible and chained to the ground, which would have caused rippling pain up and down their legs. It was designed to bring pain. It was designed to bring humiliation and hardship. Can you picture yourself in a situation like that? Can you imagine what it would have been like? I mean, if you would, if you had been in that situation, would you have said, um, uh, hello, God, um, you, I wanted to go to Asia, but you said no. I wanted to go to Bithia, but you said no. And so I'm, I'm here, and my back's ripped open, and it hurts really, really bad, and my feet are in the stock, and my legs hurt really, really bad, and I'm in a stinking cave with no foreseeable way out. How could you have called me here and let this happen to me? But that's not what happened. That's not what Paul did. He didn't accuse God. He didn't become angry with God. But let's take a look at what he did do. Let's pick up in verse 25. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises to God. Isn't that amazing? And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, an earth, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfashioned. You see, the Bible simply says that they were praying and singing praises to God. Isn't that amazing? There weren't groans of pain coming out of their mouths, but songs of praise. They weren't cursing the men that had arrested them, but they were blessing God. No wonder it says that the other prisoners were listening to them. You see, instead of complaining or, or calling on God to judge their enemies, they were praising God. It's not easy to praise God in circumstances like this. But Paul and Silas were lifted above their circumstances. It wasn't the power of positive thinking. It wasn't mind over matter. It was faith over their circumstances. And I want you to notice something in this, in this part of the story as well. You notice it doesn't say that they prayed for deliverance. I mean, I know if I had been there, I probably would have said, uh, God, can you get me out of this PS quickly? But they didn't. It doesn't even say that they prayed for an earthquake. They just gave thanks to God. So here's my point. Sometimes the earthquake will come, but sometimes it won't. You might think about the story of Daniel, Daniel Lion's Den. He's thrown into Lion's Den, and God came and he delivered him but he had to spend the night staring down his enemy. And you might think about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, they weren't spared from being thrown in the flames, but God walked with them through the flames. And they came out the other side, not even smelling like smoke. So here's what it comes down to. Sometimes God will take away the hardship, but sometimes he'll just walk with you through the hardship because we have something to learn and to grow through. But no matter what, he will be with you. And so it was with faith like that, that Paul and Silas are in the prison cell, and they are choosing to rejoice and to praise God 
through their circumstances because they know that God will work it out and that he will be with them, that he will walk with them through it to the end. So they're going through this persecution and their response is to praise God. Now let's take a look at the power of the gospel through their persecution and what effect it has on the people around them. Let's pick up in verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all still here. And the jailer called for lights, and he rushed in, and he trembled with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they, and they spoke the word of the Lord to them and to their whole household. So the ground quits shaking, and the jailer wakes up, and he looks out the hallway, and he sees all the prison doors open. How many of you know that as a jailer, that's probably the last thing you want to see? Even more so back in the time of the Roman Empire. You see, they had what they called the Code of Justinian, which meant that if you were a guard and your prisoner that you were guarding escaped, that you, that, that you as the, the jailer were responsible for this, the same punishment that the person you let escape so if, if, you were, if the person you were guarding was a thief and the punishment if they were convicted was for their hand to be chopped off, the jailer's hand would be chopped off. If it was for murder and there was going to be decapitation if they were convicted, then the jailer would be decapitated in their place. And so you can imagine with all the jail doors open, with all the possible ways that they could possibly kill him if the prisoners had all escaped, you can imagine why he was considering suicide that day. But Paul cries out, to stop him. And confused and trembling in fear, the jailer asked him a compelling question. Sir, what must I do to be saved? The jailer probably went to bed thinking that they were just prisoners or scum or good-for-nothing people. But now he addresses them as sirs, Sir Paul, Sir Silas, Mr. Paul, Mr. Silas, what must I do to be saved? He had heard the testimony of the demon-possessed girl. He had handled Paul and Silas' incarceration firsthand. He had heard the songs that they sang at night, and Polly fell asleep by them. And he had heard them cry out to stop him from killing himself. And his question was sincere and honest. And he received an answer that has resounded through the ages till today. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And not only the jailer was saved, but his whole family. Let's take a look in verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he baptized them, and he was, and he was baptized at once, he and his whole household. Then they brought them up into, the, into his house and set food before them and rejoiced along with them, along with his whole household, that he had believed in God. So he had went to bed that night as a jailer with prisoners, and now they're having breakfast together as brothers in Christ. Paul was, was faithful in the worst of situations. Paul was salt and light to his world, to his mission field, 
in the worst of all possible situations, regardless of the, the, the situation or the persecution. And, and God has the power, and, and, God, and God's power once again performs a miracle. And a life is once again changed forever. So even in the face of persecution, will you commit to being salt and light to your world? Will you have the faith to say, my God can deliver me, but even if he does not, I will be salt and light to my, to my world, to my mission field, regardless of the consequences. Let's take a look at the power of the gospel for the church. Let's pick up in verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let the men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And now they, and now they want to throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported this to the magistrates, and they were very afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came out and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. You see, Paul could be tough, but he also had a keen intellect. He refused to be dealt with summarily. You see, he knew that if, 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 he, um, that if they had been released secretly, that they would be viewed as lawbreakers, as people that were convicted and let go after serving their sentence. So he insisted on a public escort from jail, from the ruling magistrate. He knew that this would resonate in the mind of, of the entire town, that they were innocents. And it would ultimately bring protection to Lydia and to her newly formed house church. So the magistrates hear that they're, that they're Roman citizens, and they, it says that they get very afraid. You see, they just realize that they violated the, the rights of a Roman citizen. And so they reluctantly, and so reluctantly the magistrates come and they say, Mr. Paul, Mr. Silas, we were in grave error. And we'd appreciate it if, if you don't look on us badly. We meant no harm. Oh, and please don't report us to Rome because we'll get in really big trouble. And so they're publicly released. They're publicly apologized to. Now let's take a look at verse 40. So they went out of the prison and went and visited Lydia. And when they had and, and when they had seen the brothers, they uh, encouraged them and departed. So through the power of the gospel, they were released from prison. Through the power of the gospel, they brought protection to the infant church in Philippi. And through the power of the gospel, they brought encouragement to the church. If you want, the worship team wants to come back and start playing. I'm going to wrap up here. So the same gospel that we've been talking about tonight that has pow had power back then has the same power today. It has the same power when it's proclaimed to see souls come to Christ. It has the same power today over, over, over demons and over bondage and over addictions. It has the same power today over persecution. We just have to have faith. Faith that He will deliver us. And that even if He does not, that He will walk with us through the troubles. And it has the power 
that we need today as a church to be encouraged and to be edified. So tonight, I'd like to close in a time of prayer and open the altars. If you're dealing with any type of bondage or addiction, why don't you come to the altars and seek God to free you from that? If you're dealing with any type of persecution or hardship in your life, why don't you come and pray that God gives you faith, faith to, 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 to walk through it, faith that um, even if He doesn't, that He's going to walk with you through it. And can't, won't we all pray, either our seats or come to the altars, that we would be, that we would be proclaimers of the gospel to our mission fields, that we would be salt and light to the world. So the altars are open. Make an altar where you're at or come up here and see y'all come back and close us out here in a few minutes.
has just been an interesting night really for me I mean I really appreciate Nathan you know I love the fact that the Lord is uh, building up his church through people finding their giftings and their callings and uh, Danny and Nathan working on their credentials and uh, Vincent receiving his ordination while he's here and I just pray some of these young folks get called to missions I know Colton has proclaimed and stayed over and over he is called to missions and you ask Caleb he says I'm called to go with my brother and help him so um, but you know we, we pray that God I mean it was a young age I knew God was gonna do something with me and uh, I just pray that God helps all of us find our place in ministry and especially our young folks who I'm just gonna say it in our churches in America they fortunately not every church they'll be able to see examples so I pray that also we as adults lead that way, that they don't miss the opportunity God has for them because they're not seeing it by example. Amen. Nancy, can I put you on the spot? Would you pray? Would you pray aloud to dismiss us? All right. I just felt led to have you pray. So. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the privilege of being here where your word is shared, where your spirit touches us, and where your fire falls. And we look forward to the future, Father, when we come together as one body, that you will light all our fires so that we can be what you intended us to be out in the world, out in our mission field, out in our jobs out in our families, Lord God. Help us to stop looking for someone else to meet our needs. Cause us to see you in us, Father. You're the one that meets the needs. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of coming together as a body. So many people can't and don't have that privilege, but we are thankful in Jesus' name for what you're doing in each of our lives. Help us be lights and, and sources of joy to everybody we touch the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Remember to share what God is doing in your life here, what He spoke in your life. Whether you became a believer right now or whether you've been a Christian all your life, God has challenged you and charged you and commissioned you as a follower of Christ to take it out of the walls to those around you. So, love you. God bless you. You can stay in fellowship as long as you want. If you have to go, hope to see you Sunday or tomorrow morning out at the property.